Welcome to Two Dope Professors, the podcast. I am the fresh professor. He is Dr. St. Clair. And if you think you know two professors doper than us, then homie, you must be smoking that dope. Ganja. Today, we are going to talk about professionalism. What is it? Who decides what it means? And how does it relate to our second topic of code switching? Man, that Tiger Woods shit was crazy. You know that shit happened right down the street from my house? Did I tell you that? Really? Is it, was it that same hill? That's the hill. That's the hill, huh? That's the same hill. It's ass crash now. Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. They had the whole neighborhood locked down. It was hard to get in and out. That's wild. Did you tell him you're part of the family since you're black and Asian? <laughs> Some of them thought, it was, thought I was him and shit. Yeah. I, I, I took a little doing. detour and half the motherfucking news people followed me. I believe. <laughs> oh, you know what I was going to say about Tiger Woods is mm. that um, we had that conversation about how having a lack of representation, how that impacts what uh, what people think they can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember we were having that conversation. Yeah. How the, the reason why people from my community never thought they could aspire to be a professor is because they ain't never seen professors that look like them, never seen mm-hmm. professors that talk like them, dress like them, act like them. And so um, I brought up the Tiger Woods because the, the perfect analogy to that is I had never in my life thought about fucking golfing ever. That mm-hmm. had never crossed my mind. I had never watched a golf tournament, golf match or whatever it may be. Couldn't mm-hmm. have named more than three golfers until fucking Tiger Woods started golfing. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's that representation. I finally yeah. saw someone that looked like me. And in this case, he really looked like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and shit, as soon as he started winning, my ass was out there golfing. And so was everybody else I knew, man. And so you know how many black people I know started golfing after Tiger Woods started golfing? And True. Not, not after he started golfing, after they saw him golfing. And so yeah. that's that my example of having that type of representation, having an impact on what people think they can and can't do. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I actually, I, one of my main, uh, one of my best friends from from growing up is a is a prolific golfer, and for sure, you know, Tiger was one of his main heroes and role models. Really, grow, growing up, and at the time, it was like before Tiger, that type of thing was super square to right. for anybody black or brown to really be involved with, but when you see tiger killing it out there and on the, on the, on the big screen, so to speak, it gives you a different perspective. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, it, think about the, the Williams sister, Venus and Serena, Exactly. you know, the impact they had on, you know, young people in the black community and they weren't hiding their blackness at all. You remember they had the braids with the beads and everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know, they were, they were putting Compton out there, you know, they were like, we're from Compton. And, you know, that that was mm-hmm. I, I feel like those are good examples of what we were talking about before, because sometimes it's hard to it's hard to visualize the example I'm trying to use about. Hopefully there's some people that see me and think within themselves, oh, OK, I, maybe I could be a professor, you know, some shit mm-hmm. that no one ever thought when I was growing up. But that's so abstract because one, how many people even want to be a fucking professor? It's hard to see that impact that that could have because that's not something tangible for most people but the tiger woods shit is different i'm like that yeah. shit if you were black you know exactly what i mean because if you didn't start golfing somebody you knew started golfing once they saw tiger woods winning those tournaments yeah yeah that's real and well here's 
this is, I have a bunch of thoughts on this topic. One thought I have is, you know, what happened to us popularizing in, in whatever way black thought leaders? Like, right. I'm trying to think, man, through the 90s, 2000s, who were the black thought leaders? And other than literally that comes to mind is like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and who else? You know what I mean? Which is just OGs from back in the day. Yeah. You know no, what I'm that's saying? That's a good point. Yeah. But, but during that time, those cats were doing that stuff. Like the, the movie that's on HBO uh, right now, I highly recommend it. Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Fred Hampton was 21 years old. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. And where are those cats at right now? Who was doing that in the 90s, 2000s, and the 10s up to now? And yeah. so I don't know, man. I don't know if it's a function of just the the FBI's campaign successfully murdered all of our thought leaders. You know right. what I'm saying? And, and cats were scared. Yeah, no, I feel you, homie. I feel you. And, and that point you made about how young, you know, our black leaders were at those times. I mean, they were all young. You you know Chenya Rice godparents, right? Yasmin and Greg. Yeah. Yeah. They once hosted a, a book signing, um, like a book signing at their house. And the mm. person whose book it was, was an activist back in the days who used to be out there running with Martin Luther King. I say running with him like they was hanging out and hitting the clubs and shit. They probably <laughs> were. <laughs> they probably were. <laughs> and so, um, so she, one, she's still alive and she ain't even that old. Like she ain't like hella, right. hella old. <laughs> mm, right. And yeah. she was showing us pictures like, no, this is me. Like those pictures yeah. you saw. Those pictures you used to watch those documentaries, like that's me right there. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and she's not even hella old. Like that shit in right. itself was crazy to me. And right. then two, she was talking about how young everybody was. She was like a freshman yeah. in college, homie, when that when she first got into that. And she was like, Man, Martin Luther King wasn't but 24 or something years old or something like that. To mm -hmm. them, he was older because she was only like 18, but he mm -hmm. was like, you know, 23 or something, you know? And wow. yeah. For real, it really kind of makes you reflect. I'm thinking about what I was doing when I was 21. Right. <laughs> oh man. 21. She was 18, homie. She was right. 18. You right. know what I mean? Like she was 18, getting arrested, going to prison. She she told a story about how I don't know if it was a sit-in. It was some type of um, peaceful protesting that they did, but that led to them being mm -hmm. arrested. And mm -hmm. she talked about how Martin Luther King came and brought her some toothpaste and soap and shit. Wow. Like, how crazy wow. is that? He came and visited her and gave her some shit that he knew that she was going to need because he had already been arrested hella times at, yeah. you know, up until that point. It's, it, you know, that, that, the That's story insane. is just crazy. And I was like, to just be sitting here listening to someone tell that story who doesn't even look much older than my parents. Right. It was, man, it was fascinating. I, I mean, that, just, that was, go ahead. I, well, that was just real quick because it's just the, every, the exact experience that you're telling me and your realization that how young everybody was i would love to to have that conversation with her and right. and, and for for students and other young folks to hear you know how do you go from just being a regular freshman who's like kind of like kind of whatever maybe on the fence maybe you got some opinions to protesting sitting in boycotting and getting arrested you know what i mean right. what's that trend what's that journey So we also want to talk, so mention that we wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of professionalism and what that means and what that looks like. Do we want right. to talk more about, touch more on that? We touched on it a little bit. We touched on representation a little bit. What do you think? Like, first of all, who the fuck gets to decide what professionalism is? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that rubs me the wrong way about the generally accepted perception of what professionalism is is that for a lot of people, that means you have to be someone different than who you actually are. 
for instance, in business, professionalism is wearing a suit and tie mm-hmm. and speaking a certain way and not having tattoos. And so what I don't think professionalism should mandate or even influence is this idea of code switching and not not just code switching of your language. I'm talking about code switching um, in terms of physical appearance, behavior, you know, the way you dress. Mm-hmm. I feel like, man, why can't I be professional and dress the way I normally dress? Why can't I be professional and speak the way I normally speak? Like, what makes that not professional if I'm a professional? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have a motherfucking PhD. I'm a tenured associate marketing professor. I'm an award-winning scholar. Award-winning scholar. <laughs> I'm Put an award-winning scholar. It, Put some fucking respect on it, right? <laughs> and so how can anything I do within the scope of academia not be professional because of the way I speak and the way I dress? Well, so that's, that's it's an interesting, at the risk of going hella academic with it, what does it mean to be professional versus, versus, versus maybe some idea of, credibility right you know what i'm saying but why am i why am i less credible well that's what i'm saying it's like what what is what is professionalism does that make you less credible what do we really care about is it trustworthiness is it can i rely on this person like maybe it's all content it depends on the context i'm thinking about business though and business is very often about what are the results Mm -hmm. right and if you can produce results you know, if you're Alan Iverson, I don't, I'm going to have to go ahead and let the braids and the tattoos go and the baggy jeans go. You're bringing me dubs, you know. Practice. 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 But, that, but that's, you know, it, at the same time, I think where it comes into conflict for a lot of folks is this idea of tradition or, or maybe even ceremony of like, what's for this type of occasion, what's appropriate. If, if, you're, having, if you're having your wedding, can somebody show up and can a dude just be up in there with no shirt off? You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Is that cool? Or is that like, man, that's not really cool. And why not? And I think that's, that's just this, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I don't have the answer per se, you know, sway, but the, this idea of what's appropriate for this ceremony, for this occasion, I think is where you can see there, there can be conflict when it's non-traditional. Okay. When is it not? Right. Right. And you know, and I, and I feel like it, um, it has a lot to do with the gatekeepers. And so mm. if we go back to, we were talking about professionalism and what, what's professionalism? What does it look like to be professional? Mm. I think that, not that, I think the way people want you to look when it comes to professionalism, the way people want you to dress and want you to speak has a lot to do with the gatekeepers wanting you to be like them, right? And so that's what mm. I really think it is. It's like, look, the more you're like me, the more professional you are, <laughs> or at least the more I like you, right? And the way they express the more they like you is saying that you're professional. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you dress like me? Well, I like you. Do you use the vernacular I use? Well, I like you even more. <laughs> and so the crazy thing is, I, I probably got I probably had two stories. So of course I'm gonna tell the, the story about, I gotta tell the Brooks Brothers story. But I'm going to tell a more recent story that I don't even know if I told you. Hmm. So I was once in a meeting um, with some of our with some of our gatekeepers. And and I say gatekeepers 
hopefully that that's not being perceived as always a negative thing. Like being a gatekeeper doesn't mean that you're the fucking slave master. I'm not equating it to that, you know? Sure. And so, um, but some of our gatekeepers, I was in a meeting with some of them and the conversation about tattoos came up. Mm. Right. And so it basically was saying like, look, man, if you're in an interview and people are evaluating you in a certain way, cause you got tattoos, Hey, you know, that's on you. Like, you know, like on some, oh, well, you shouldn't have tattoos or you shouldn't have visible tattoos. Hmm. You know, what I ended up saying was, look, man, these people doing the interviews have tattoos too. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just covering them up. So how fucking dare them judge somebody else for having tattoos that are visible because they're afraid to show their tattoos. (laughs) That goes back to the idea of code switching. They made them, they got them in such a place that they could be covered up if they wanted to so that they could code switch. Right. And I well, did that. You know, I don't. Okay, let me catch myself. Let me check myself on that. That might be biased. They might have got them so that they, you know, maybe some days you don't want a, a red tattoo because you know you're wearing blue or something. Maybe there's just the aesthetic they want to have options. So there, there could be other motivations too. There could, there could, and and you know, I was when I got my first tattoos, I intentionally, and this is where I fucked up because I didn't, I didn't understand fashion. Mm-hmm. And how trends change, but so at the time <laughs> I got, got my first tattoo. <laughs> I got a tramp stamp. No, I'm just playing. I ain't get tramp stamp. But uh, I got I got tattoos on my arms. But I consciously said, you know what? I want to get them high enough to where if I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt, mm-hmm. they'll I can still cover them up. Mm-hmm. Right. This is younger me when I thought right. I had to do shit like that. Right. And, and this is also when. My little ass was wearing a motherfucking two two XL t-shirt. Oh, jeez, <laughs> look like a nightgown. I, I, I was right there with you, right? And so, what would cover up my tattoos back in the nineties? Right, right. <laughs> Early two thousands is not the same thing that would cover up my tattoos right now. Yeah. And so, I ended up getting tattoos to where, if I was to cover them up with a short sleeve now. I'd be looking like Lil Wayne when he was in the Hot Boys and shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I say that to say, you know, I was right there. Like I was one of those people that was like, let me get my tattoos, but let me be able to cover them up. Right. And then as I've gotten older and I've, I've felt more empowered to just be myself. I started being like, man, fuck that. If I want to have tattoos, I want to have tattoos. (laughs) And so now, you know, of course I have tattoos in places I can't cover up. You know, right. I have tattoos on my fingers, hands, wrists, everywhere and shit, right? I and mean, so... you can wear some gloves. <laughs> yeah, <come> Michael <laughs> Jackson. Do a professional meeting. <laughs> Michael Jackson and shit. And so, but, but the conversation ended up, it was crazy because it led to this conversation of like, oh, that's fine. You know, I understand people have tattoos nowadays, but hey, if you get judged for having tattoos in the interview, so be it. Like, you should have thought about that. Like, I'm not here to to defend, you know, tattoo wearing. Like, it almost was a conversation like that. And I'm like, that's some bullshit because these interviewers are also millennials, right? So these people right. that are interviewing them, sometimes these are people in their late 30s that are senior managers, right? And they mm-hmm. also have those tattoos that need to be covered up by a hot boy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, look, homie, no. I'm like, that's not right. That's not right. 
Like they can't be sitting there judging the person they're interviewing because they got tattoos that are visible and they also have fucking tattoos. And so I made this comment. I said, look, I don't know anybody my age or younger that doesn't have a tattoo. Wow. Do you? I mean, think about it. How many people do you I know? know? I know a few. I know a few. Mm-hmm. I can't, I went through I went through my mental Rolodex and I'm like, man, everybody I know got fucking tattoos. I'm also from Southeast San Diego, so. I was gonna say, <laughs> this is, it might be a, a, a function of who you know. What's funny about that is I got I had this plan for this tattoo, okay, on my arm, exact same era where I was like, oh, I got to be able to a short sleeve, I can hide it if I want to. Cool. The tattoo artist stopped after he finished the first part of the tattoo and then i left town and didn't finish the second half of it which went further down my arm and literally like a month two months after that the style changed and people stopped wearing tall tees (laughs) and the sleeves got (laughs) snug and i was like that's crazy my tat it ended up like fate had it where it was just like i was hella close to the exact situation as you if I would have finished the tattoo and gotten that extra session, it would have been the same thing. That's funny. Because because uh, who knew fashion changes, man? Who knew the tall tees wasn't going to be right. forever? Come on, man. I'm like, I, I miss those. I miss those. I don't miss those days. I look back at those pictures and I'm like, you're like, what, what? The fuck is that? I mean, it's it's in now. It's just like a slightly slightly different, but right. you just don't wear it with the big jeans. Although oh, they're trying man. to make big jeans come back, and I'm like, I I don't think the world is ready for that yet. It's gonna be at least another five <laughs> years, maybe more. Man, I remember, I remember um, the day I decided, so I don't know about in Seattle, I'm guessing it was the same everywhere, because it was like this in Atlanta, Hmm. but um, in Southern California, for sure, there was an era where everybody was just wearing white tees. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Was that a thing in in Seattle? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Seattle was like three, four months behind Atlanta for that. Okay, okay. And you remember the song? Yep, in my white, in my white tee, tee. right? Yeah. And so, yep. and so, when I got to Atlanta, I was mostly just wearing white tees. That's what people wore where I yeah. had just moved from. Like we mm-hmm. wore fucking white tees unless we had to wear something different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I got to Atlanta, I remember one day I stepped on the campus. I should say Clark Atlanta University, the illustrious Clark the. Atlanta University. <laughs> I saw this this meme that said, "No matter what HBCU." Uh, someone went to when you ask them where they went to they're going to say the illustrious Clark <laughs> Atlanta University. and so um i remember stepping on campus and this is another this is another chinurai story you know 75 percent of my stories involve chinurai <laughs> i go to camp i go to school one day and i'm wearing a white tee and i get to campus and i look around and i see 150 other motherfuckers wearing a white tee <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's the uniform I, and so I remember later that day telling Chinurai, I ain't never wearing a motherfucking white tee ever again. Yeah, yeah, that was when you realized. Yeah, okay. What's it funny is. about that is that's exactly how the, the trends change. Is you and a few other people that day were like, all right, enough is enough. This is ridiculous. Right, right, right. <laughs> you hey, you want to know something? Amongst, other fools. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Amongst my amongst my homies, like my my uh the homies I grew up with and shit, I was the first to get on like more fitted clothing and like designer jeans because Chinderai yeah. used to buy me that shit. And mm. so Chinderai used to always be like, why the fuck your clothes so big? <laughs> she put you on the game, huh? <laughs> and so I used to be like, 
man, you want me to wear these fucking skinny jeans? They weren't even, and they weren't even skinny jeans. Loud motherfuckers right. actually wearing skinny jeans, but these weren't even skinny jeans. They, they were, were just, just 501s. They were just the size jeans that I was supposed to be wearing. <laughs> that you were supposed to wear, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I was used to wearing two, three, four size too big. And so yeah. I remember the homies used to always clown and shit. And, um, but, but, but shit, now look, them same homies and shit is wearing skin tights and shit. <laughs> Skin tight. They're like, does this dream? Do these jeans stretch? Is this stretchy denim? Literally the other day, bro, I was looking for stretchy denim. I say, what has the world come to? What is going? Because I was like, I can't go. I don't want to go baggy. You know, here's what it is. COVID did this. I was like, sweats are the best thing ever made. Why did I stop wearing sweats all the time? Right. Right. Then I was like, what's the closest I can get to sweats and still be professional? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, all right, I need some like dark denim that stretches. And then that's, you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm searching for does this stretch or not. So you were looking for the for the denim with the with the three percent spandex. Uh, yeah, I said I need the three percent spandex. I might order two two sizes and send one back. That's what at least that's what I keep telling myself. You know, extra jeans. But it, it's funny to see how it changes. And it's also gonna be interesting to see how the pandemic really, because that's been my journey and I'm sure other people are in that same boat of what is going to be professional attire when work from home keeps being that's what it is. Maybe that's going to be something that'll help us, you know, be more of ourselves in the workplace. Yeah, I feel you, man. And, you know, my immediate reaction to that comment is fuck everybody else. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, man, we just going to be ourselves, fucking COVID or not. I, you know, I've gotten to that point you know, a few years ago. And I think, I think I was, I was working my way up to that point before I got sick in 2016. But when I came out of that, that hospital, homie, I was like, fuck that. I'm done code switching. Like if we're talking about code switching, I'm like, I'm done fucking code switching, homie. Like with everything I'm done code switching in terms of how I talk, how I look, how I dress. I'm like, they're going to get me in the real me. And they're either going to like that shit or not like that shit. You know, like we always say, there's there's an audience for every brand. And if they don't like my fucking brand, then I'll find a new target audience. Right, right. And I agree. And my own my own journey with that has been interesting. I think I'm still kind of processing through and learning about myself in terms of how I want that to play out. You know, like what's the, which, which vocabulary set, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be activated. Am I going to be using in a given situation? And it's also interesting to see other friends and colleagues, including my older brother go through it. And, and as, as he climbs the corporate ladder and whatnot. And so one quick example is uh, him using, I noticed he was using the word nice. Mm. And I was like, that is a good ass word. (laughs) (laughs) such a versatile word because it's hella versatile right everybody gets it you know what i'm saying you can add some flavor to it you have been saying it you know for years maybe not it's not your always your go-to because that's gonna that might change you know uh but it's it's funny to kind of think about what that what that ends up looking like and and the words we use and how we use that to to cross over like for example another another quick example how often do you use the word dope and then think is this, do they understand what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's dope. And as you were saying that, it started making me think, you know, I was getting caught up in the moment a little bit. You feel mm. me? 
And so mm. I'm a backpedal a little bit. And, you know, I, I guess I do still code switch to a certain extent. I was I I, I had made the sentence, uh, the statement that, you know, I'm not code switching. Like, fuck mm. that. And I even mm. think I said, fuck that. Wow. And so but I do. And so there are certain contexts, for instance, where I probably won't use profanity. Right. Right. And maybe and maybe it isn't a matter of code switching. It's just uh, maybe a matter of of respect. Mm-hmm. Like in that context, maybe that that type of language is disrespectful in that mm-hmm. context. That I guess that's code switching. And so let me backpedal a little bit. Let me get let me quit acting so fucking tough. Could act I mean, you know, it's but it's it's a it's a a it's a journey. B context context change, and you want to express yourself. And if I if like for here, just even local slang, like the word filthy. Filthy means dope, basically, right. which means cool or nice, you know. And that's that's some shit we say in Seattle all the time. And right. I'll I'll drop it now and again, but also I might. You know, the scenarios be like, uh, I need to choose a different word because they're not going to understand what I mean. Right, 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 right. And also, I, I compare it to me trying to speak foreign languages and shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do I say this in a different language? If I if I'm in, you know, we were in we were in Costa Rica, and I'm trying to speak Spanish a little bit, you know, just to, just to flex on, on on the low. <laughs> but right, right, right. And you have to pick and choose your vocabulary, and you're hopefully hopefully you're doing it in a way that fools understand. And then on their end, they're doing the same thing. Right. Right? They're because they know I don't speak very good Spanish. And so obviously. So they're like, all right, well, let me pick my words. And so part of it is just like maybe, maybe code switch is not the right word. I mean, that is a thing that exists and we do and we do it, people do it. Right. Maybe enough for us to think about the kind of stuff that we're we're going through and processing is right. somewhere between code switching. And just trying to overcome language barriers. Just trying to communicate. Exactly. And you know, that's an interesting point because what I what it sounds like you're speaking towards is this idea of target audiences. And so Mm. depending on who the audience is, you might have to communicate um, in a certain way. And if you Mm. switch audiences, you may have to change your communication style a little bit. Now you might not change, you know, the core meaning, the core messaging. But the way in which you deliver the message may need to change depending on the the audience. So that's a a pretty interesting thing. Before we jump off this call, I want to have that conversation about brands that code switch. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. what I thought would be interesting to talk about as well is that when brands are code switching, who are they code switching for? And so the SoFi example... Um, what exactly they say again? They say something like, get your get, money. Get, yeah, get your money right. Get your money right, right? Which in my opinion is black vernacular. Sure. I right? Agree. And so are they messaging the black people or are they messaging the non-black people that want to consume black culture for that moment? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is, and and we, this is definitely another interesting conversation topic to talk about, thinking about um, David Crockett did a, a published a, a paper which I think we also talked about this. He was involved in that Sephora race in the marketplace, uh, mm-hmm. racial bias and retail study, which was incredible. Uh, but he uh, did, a, I think, a 2017 paper, so a few years ago now, that, that touched on this idea of black, being black and from the streets, so to speak, mm-hmm. street cred, basically, right, is cultural capital. 
and bringing that idea into this conversation the that language is a lot more popularized and mainstream than it once was right you know what i'm saying and so to your point it can be people who just you know they vibe with or to use facebook's term they have the affinity like if you want to target black people you actually can't you can only target black people who have the affinity for black people right to black shit (laughs) yeah yeah you got an affinity for black shit for black culture then you're you know you you so but that's exactly right is are are they riding that wave of cultural capital and mainstreaming and 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 credibility and street cred right um, black culture and black vernacular and is that cool cool or not exactly and you know um you know we had that conversation about people that consume black culture have an affinity for black shit but ain't really fucking with black people like that right (laughs) you know it's like yeah i I love black culture i love all that black shit but i'm just not bringing you home to mama you know you're not coming to eat dinner with my family there were there was a dope line from the movie, it's on Amazon Prime. It's it's the one where they say we got Muhammad Ali. Oh, Sam the Cook, one night in Miami. Malcolm X, yeah, one night in Miami. Directed, I think Regina King directed it. Right on, on Amazon Prime. Um, there was a really cold, a uh, Jim Brown. There was a super cold line there. I'm gonna paraphrase so I don't ruin it, but it was basically like, "Yo, whatever you need, I got your back, but you can't come in the house." Right, and I was just like, "That's really that's exactly what Mitch was talking about." Where it was like, "I'm down, you know, yeah, you're cool, but just stay in your place." Exactly. I'm not bringing you home to mama. You can't come inside for dinner. And and so you know, and and that brings me back to the idea of when brands code switch, when SoFi is saying, "Get your money right," are they saying that because they want black consumers? Or are they saying that because the consumers they want like black culture? Right, right. And then that makes me say, cool, SoFi, but what are your lending policies? If I, if I do a Jerome Williams and send some secret shoppers into your, into your uh, organization to try and get some loans or whatnot, are they going to get hated on? You know? Right. My guess is yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, will they be getting hated on there more than somewhere else, more than the standard hate that we just be getting because we're black and brown? Probably not. I, I would imagine it's about the same. I don't imagine it being less, uh, but I don't imagine it being more. I don't think that excuses it. But if they're if they're gonna, you know, if you're gonna be woke, be woke. Don't be half woke. You know what I mean? Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and smash that like button. And if you really want to be a G, go ahead and rate us five stars and follow us on Instagram at Two Dope Professors. Until next time, guys. We out. Peace.